0: This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Ross on 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: Welcome into a Monday version of Seattle Sports at Night. It's me, Seahawks Insider Stacey Ross, with him, Jake Heaps, and What's you guys, on? and you.
0: And you, the <laughs> listeners. How you guys uh, doing?
1: Big weekend in sports. Some some good news, some not so good news. Uh it feels weird to have the NFL starting. Does it's it? like fall is here. I feel like I should go get pumpkin spice lattes. Right,
0: especially after today with the, with the weather being as bad as it was, how, how rainy it was. Man, ugh.
1: You know, I'm not going to get into it too much. Uh, we are going to cover UW uh, in a couple different segments, but that lightning storm was wild. I've yes, never seen that before, and I have a fantasy football text thread. Someone in the thread was like, oh, this is just another Texas storm. You guys need to chill. And then... After a while, I was like nope. This is even by Texas standards, pretty bad.
0: <laughs> so. I, it was it was fun. I mean, you know, look the the delay obviously was not fun. Having to watch a game until one thirty at night, and then the result of that game uh, did not feel rewarded for staying up and watching that. Uh, just uh, honestly, it took me a while to go to bed uh, after that loss that UW took uh, against Cal. But, uh, man, that, that thunderstorm and lightning storm was a good one.
1: I know. We'll get into that in today's timeline. Uh, Let's see. Let's actually start with the NFL. The Seahawks beat the Bengals 21-20. Certainly wasn't a dominant win. I think the line on that game was 9.5. Some people expected it to be perhaps a two-touchdown win. Uh, Ended up being one point. Uh, Some good. Rookie wide receiver DK Metcalf caught four passes for a team-high 86 receiving yards. That actually breaks Steve Largent's record for receiving yards in a rookie wide receiver debut.
0: And came out strong with the Steve Largen jersey.
1: Yeah, he did. the. Th- oh, it was great.
0: Yeah, he, I, lo- he looked really good. And and knowing that he was coming out, I love the mindset that he had walking into that game, knowing that he was trying to go after that record, trying to chase the greatness and become the next Steve Largen.
1: I think uh, even more so than Metcalf, though, if there's an MVP of this game, I think it's got to go to defensive tackle Quentin Jefferson, who had a pair of sacks, three quarterback hits, and two passes defended. His best game is a Seahawk.
0: Yeah, I would I would say so. And and when you look at this game, I one, Stacey, it was good to have the NFL back. It was good to have it right. back on my TV, watching it, watching the Seahawks, and and then you get to finish off with Monday night football. We've got uh or sorry, Monday night football tonight all those things, it's great to be back in the flow of everything. But uh, when you look at this win, and that's what it was, Stacey, it was a win. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't exactly what you were hoping for for the Seahawks, and certainly not what I anticipated. Yeah. But a win is a win. And knowing that this team could play as bad as it did and still eventually come out on top, I, I think that's the thing that everybody needs to lean into and and moving forward, you know that a lot of these things are going to get cleaned up after week one.
1: Every week is 1-0, is Jake.
0: That's right. 1-0. 1-0, Uh seen.
1: That said, the bad, and we're going to get into this uh, at 7.30, but uh, Andy Dalton threw for more than 400 yards. And Andy Dalton Ended up being the week's leading passer of all quarterbacks.
0: Andy Dalton had, here's a stat for you, he had more attempts than the Seahawks had plays. Combined. No,
1: I know. He had like 51 attempts, which is second behind only Kyler Murray, who's in a heavy passing offense.
0: Correct. So it was definitely uh, an great. interesting turn of events. But with that being said, the Seahawks did a great job shutting down the Cincinnati uh, running game. And that obviously led to. A, a barrage of uh, a, a passes by the, the Cincinnati Bengals and Andy Dalton had himself a day we'll get into that moving forward later on into the show but uh, yeah definitely not what you were hoping to see from this secondary you were hoping to see improvement that's what we've been talking about Stacy gosh we're we think that this group can really grow and and, and get better and mm-hmm. you saw some of the same mistakes that you saw last year continue to creep in and, and that was very frustrating
1: uh, the Mariners were swept by the Astros in a series that included the worst loss in franchise history. Bob Stelton was sitting next to me in the press box, and we kept checking the score of this game on Sunday, which was a 21-1 to loss. And each time we checked it was another run. Uh, obviously, for the Mariners, this season isn't about wins and losses. It's about the development of players, and Shannon Dreyer wrote about that for 710sports.com. That yeah. said, it's it's still tough, I think, for fans to, to watch a loss like that.
0: The Houston Astros scored three touchdowns. They found the end zones the thrice. Wow. I mean, to me, look, yes, wins and losses, all that, they don't matter. But to lose in that kind of fashion versus your the divisional opponent, divisional rival. It just shows the disparity between where the Mariners are at and where the Houston Astros are. Obviously, you know that with the Mariners being in true full teardown mode. But gosh, it's hard to see scores like that. To me, those are those are unacceptable uh, outcomes. But. Uh, Look, you're at the latter part of the year for the Mariners. They are just trying to walk out of this season, trying to learn uh, about some of their youngsters and and who they have in this farm system.
1: Let's wrap it up with some college football. Number 22, Washington State got a 59-17 easy win over Northern Colorado. Anthony Gordon, another great game for him, threw for 464 yards and four touchdowns. Meanwhile, the number four UW Huskies were upset by Cal. If you stayed up to watch it, it was a 2019 loss Cal kicker Greg Thomas hit a 17-yard field goal with eight seconds left. There was a two and a half hour delay because of lightning. You uh, got UW quarterback Jacob Eason not nearly as stellar an outing for him as he had in his debut.
0: No, it wasn't. It wasn't as stellar. And I think part of that also comes down to also where his skill position players were in terms of catching the football. And And so when you look at all of the things that have were combined in that game, Cal's defense is one of the best secondaries in the entire country. They certainly challenged this, this receiving core. They challenged Jacob Eason and you know when you look at it all together this this offense still has room to grow and and luckily they're able to kind of lick their wounds and come back versus a Hawaii team that is going to score that they are going to be able to generate some points but I think this is a good bounce back opportunity for the Huskies to get themselves back on track after a very very tough and very very frustrating loss versus the huskies
1: well and i know it's a tough environment too you've got the rain you've got a gross yeah but stacy you're, you're at home you're at and home and both of you guys are playing there so certainly a tough loss for them uh coming up next we're gonna have our reaction specifically for the seahawks offense we're gonna start there after the win over the Bengals. the good the bad all the questions we have leading into week two that's next on seattle sports at night
0: Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. Don't forget, you can listen to our show via the 710 Sports app driven by your Puget Sound Acura dealers. I'm Seahawks insider Stacey Rost joined by Jake Heaps. I, okay, here's the thing. Jake, before we start this segment, yes. I do have to preface it by saying... I understand the Seahawks won, and it's so weird because the environment—not just eh, it, not not necessarily in the locker room—the environment just uh, about the team and in, in our recaps and our conversations is almost as if it was a loss. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. I don't remember a start quite like this. I don't know yeah. if it's because the Seahawks opened at home. <laughs> and well, so it's just weird, but. Um it,
0: it it is. And and I wonder, you know, for all those that are listening out there if you could text into the 710 710 coors like text line, just uh, I wonder what your thoughts are. Uh, do you guys feel good about this win? Yes, we won. We're moving forward on to Pittsburgh. Or do you guys are you guys frustrated, uh, disappointed? What mm-hmm. what's your thought process and why? Why are you disappointed? What aspect of it really, you know, got under your skin or and, and bothered you? I think the biggest thing for me was Yes, this team was certainly poised to really handle a Cincinnati team that was coming in here literally limping. You know, there were yeah. so many injuries that they were dealing with on the offensive line. Um, they had some injuries in their secondary. There were a lot of things to to look at this team and go, man, the Seahawks are poised to really run away with this thing. And and all we talked about all off season was how great this offense looked, in particular. Mid this this offensive line is going to be the strength of this team. Uh, Russell Wilson has looked the best that he's ever had, you know, in an entire off season. All of that, and you just did not see any of that come to fruition, except for the fact that when you look back at the stat line, you go, "Oh, actually, Russell Wilson did have a pretty good game. He he did have 130 uh, passer rating." He did you know deliver in terms of you know 70 percent completion percentage and, and two touchdowns and all of that, but you didn't feel any of that. You felt like this offense was completely out of sorts, and a big part of that, Stacy, was the fact that this unit, this offensive line unit, completely got pushed around and dominated for the majority of the game.
1: Yeah, the offensive line, and obviously it's not just the line that goes into this, but I will say Russell Wilson didn't look like he had a ton of time on some of these sacks. They allowed four sacks. Um, It Just wasn't a great day overall. Certainly didn't get up to uh, their average. Last year they averaged 160 rushing yards per game. I think they had 75-ish after this game. Uh, In the locker room afterward, I talked to Dwayne Brown and asked him, Hey, I know this is kind of awkward, but what went wrong and what happened. Um, and he was just, you know, talking about just kind of basic stuff. It's hard for them sometimes to explain really about miscommunications or or sometimes just getting beat on a play. Uh, and then I said, "Well, is it kind of a week one thing when you're shaking off the rust?" And he said something interesting, which is, "Yeah, that's maybe part of it, but that's not an excuse we're accepting essentially that yeah. we're veterans. We aren't we aren't first and second year players." Um, these are experienced players. These are players that are first or second round picks. These are players that are on contract extensions. These are players that four of whom played together last season. They shouldn't have these kind of stumbling blocks that they're getting over. Um, so, so I will say as far as looking at some of the issues that the Seahawks had leaving this game, what might be a, not a quick fix, but something that's fixable, I'm leaning toward thinking that's the offensive line, not just because they managed to pull it together last year relatively early yeah. in week three, week four, um, but because I think the offensive linemen were well aware of what they did wrong and what happened and and were incredibly disappointed with themselves.
0: Yeah. The, the, like you said, I mean, Dwayne Brown uh, being the main leader on that offensive line, along with Justin Britt, I mean, they know that they got their their butts handed to them, honestly, and you have to you have to tip your cap to Geno Atkins and Sam Hubbard and Carlos Dunlap because they played one they played a heck of a game. They got after, they harassed Russell Wilson the entire game. They were disruptive. And when you really break it down, Stacy, it comes down to two simple things. One, in pass protection, they were they were not only getting beat physically, but they were making silly day one mental errors in breakdown in protection. Yeah. You know, for example, they had a corner blitz that came off the edge and it was very obvious you saw what was happening, and Nick Vanette was playing the role of fullback and should have that, you know, blocked up, sealed up, no problem. And instead you know, doesn't recognize it until it's too late. Those are little things that are absolutely going to get fixed moving forward. You're not going to see those types of mental mental errors from this team again. But the big thing is physically. It was just surprising to see Dwayne Brown get beat as much as he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin Britt, I mean, these guys really, really were out physical in this game. So when you look at it from that standpoint, that was shocking. Uh, I know the group, uh, Cincinnati's D line was the strength of their team, but the offensive line is supposed to be our strength as well. So right. um, that that was surprising. But I do agree with you that this is something that this group is going to correct. They are going to get better at this moving forward. And you're going to you're going up against the Pittsburgh Steelers team that over the last uh, two years, Stacey, they've led the NFL in sacks. 52 and 55 sacks over the last two years. So they've got to figure it out and figure it out in a hurry.
1: I think what's so interesting comparing uh, this opener to last year's, the offensive line obviously did struggle in last year's opener, but I think the Seahawks, under a new offensive coordinator, came out of the gate really focused on the pass. They had been talking about ramping up the run. They drafted a running back. They signed a blocking tight end. um, and, And a right guard that could help with that in DJ Fluker and then people were questioning well where's the run what's happening through weeks into we all know the story we all covered these games what was so interesting about this one is some of those stars in the passing game were just absent and it, and they yeah. really did focus on trying to establish the run early problem is they couldn't get it going and they they didn't always self correct with that and Pete Carroll was the first to admit that in his interview this morning with Brock and Sock saying that they were a bit arrogant thinking that they'd be able to just pound it and keep going and that that defensive line would give but i i think my yeah. one of my bigger questions leaving the game was where Tyler Lockett and Jerome Brown were it's not like i'm saying on their part i'm saying where were the attempts Tyler Lockett wasn't targeted until late in the third quarter
0: yeah uh, you look at that and you say, "You say yes." I, I would, I would wonder why Tyler Lockett wasn't targeted as much as he was. Uh, Jerome Brown not getting a target at all. Yeah, and he's supposed to be your number
1: two, right?
0: However, this offense was so out of sorts; it was so jacked up in terms of lack of production because of the offensive line, because of the pressures and the sacks that they were getting. That it was very hard to get anything going, and. One of the big things that I took away from this as well is not only was there direct and immediate pressure on Russell Wilson, but what has been your bread and butter? What was that last year? It was your deep play-action pass game. And when you're not able to get that going, you have to. What is the word that we've used, Stacey, all off season in hopes of this offense? You have to be adaptable. And so to hear something like Pete Carroll say, "Gosh, we just were too stubborn. Mm-hmm. We were too arrogant about our approach and wanting to maul these guys." At what point are you going to recognize that that's not happening? At what point are you going to start to change and say, "Hey, all right, let's try and get the ball out of Russell Wilson's hand quicker." Because there were moments that when they did that, it was successful. You know, you hit a Will Disley uh, up the seam and and get a nice, uh, you know, first down, ten yards Mm -hmm. out of that play. You know, you don't have to do anything extravagant, but you have those ability. You have that ability with a quarterback like Russell Wilson. So it it is one of those things where I think this this team coming in has a clear identity. They know what they want to do, but again, this is still trying to figure out, work out the kinks over these next couple weeks to really truly hone in exactly what this offense needs to be moving forward. And, and so we've just got to be patient as they, as they go along and figure that out because week one obviously wasn't to the standard of the Seahawks and, and obviously the fans because exactly. you heard it. You heard it during the game. They started booing at one point, and I, I, can't, I can't blame them for that.
1: Uh, a couple of texts coming in on the Coors Light text line. Again, you can send those in to 710, 710. Uh, from the 206, they went 0-2 to start the year. Last year, no need to panic. It's just the first game. Which, fair, um, from from the three six zero, they talked up the offensive line all offseason. It was like going on a first date with a math professor who pulls out a calculator for the tip. Kind of surprises you there when it's supposed to be a strength. Okay, um, from the two zero six, I'm happy with the win this game, but this game confirms my fear: the Seahawks played down to opposition. Hard to get excited about that. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of similar. Kind of feelings for people it's it's i think it's hard for fans to be really excited about a win unless it's a sure win regardless that that doesn't have to be the seahawks yeah, it's well, any team right stra- no one wants yeah. to be nervous about how you're going to look i agree but if, if
0: you're if you're going to be a fan of this team and this head coach and pete carroll you better strap up and buckle up for for a bumpy uh road this season because that's just the way they play unfortunately and and that has been the historical way that they've played they want to keep things close they want to uh, try and limit the errors that they make and enforce errors on the other team. And that's the one thing that you can point to for the Seahawks in terms of what they were able to do. They were able to win the turnover battle, and they were able to win in, in, in critical moments in the red zone. Um, and I think that was a key factor for them winning this game overall. Despite all of the extra stuff that was happening, despite Andy Dalton throwing for mm-hmm. over four hundred yards, despite this offense struggling to protect their quarterback and get the run getting the running game established,
1: I will say there were some positives as far as plays goes chris carson's twenty one run or twenty one yard run was I think the best run I saw on either side of the ball Sunday
0: oh no doubt I mean, when you look at chris Carson, I, I think you know going away from kind of the negative things and looking forward to the positive. Chris Carson is a man amongst boys. I mean, that was very very clear. And when he had opportunity to work amongst uh, within that offensive line, you show, he showed what he can do. When he caught the ball in space, he he uh he made multiple tacklers miss on his touchdown uh, reception. You know, Chris Carson is a guy that if you can get the ball in his hands and give him just a little bit of room to work. He can do some special things, Stacy, and and really make defenses pay when they try to come up and tackle him. And I don't know about you, but it was so good to see DK Metcalf and his performance. It was so good to see him. It's kind of validating, I think,
1: for him and for for that offense to have him almost exceed expectations. I mean, he didn't have like the best debut of any rookie w- receiver out there, but. To break a Seahawks franchise record, impressive. To have some of the catches he did, really impressive.
0: Yeah, he made big plays when, when Russell needed it the most and when this offense needed it the most. And And without those plays, this offense would have been in a really tough spot. And what that does for me, Stacey, the reason why I'm excited about this debut, like you said, this wasn't the, the greatest performance we have ever seen. This was not a, a DK Metcalf that came out and scored two touchdowns mm-hmm. and had over 100 yards receiving and all those things. But what he did was that he confirmed a lot of the things that we saw in this offseason in terms of his ability to catch the deep ball, his ability to run slants, um, and, and to be able to make tough catches. And those are all the makings that uh, are, you know lead to success and big success. And when you're able to do that with your franchise quarterback, in a live game situation, that only boosts and further and further along your development in terms of being able to get more targets, being able to uh, get into a rhythm together mm-hmm. as a as a you know uh, pass throwing and catching duo so that's what really excited me and eventually, I think this is going to have a positive effect on Tyler Lockett and you know obviously Tyler did not get targeted soon enough, but when he did he made he made it count except for one play you know which is one that he would like to have back. But uh, overall, I think that this offense is going to come together. They're going to find their way. There were some There was some good positives amongst the negatives.
1: We've got a couple more questions about the Seahawks offense coming up in four-down territory at 745. But next, we're going to take a look at the other side of the ball for the Seahawks. That's next on Seattle Sports at Night.
0: You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost.
1: Powered through the Alaska
0: Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. I am Seahawks insider Stacy Ross with Jake Heaps. We spent the last segment talking about Seahawks offensive line in particular, but also some stuff that we liked uh, from the Seahawks offense. Going to take a similar approach for the defensive side of the ball. I think it's pretty obvious to most people that their biggest weakness was the secondary. Andy Dalton, again, threw for, what, 410, 415 yards against them. Yeah. Uh, league's leading passer. Uh, not a great night for Trey Flowers, although he had moments. I think he led the team with nine tackles. Yeah,
0: but, Stacy, any time for anybody out there, you see a corner leading the team in tackles, that is never, ever, ever, Stacy, a good thing, ever.
1: Why is it never a good thing, Because
0: Jake? that means you're getting the ball completed on you and you have to make the <laughs> tackle, Stacy. that's why. And Trey Flowers had to make a lot of tackles, Yikes. okay? Yeah. So this wasn't him coming up and making big plays in the run game and all that I stuff. Know. He was making tackles, uh, unfortunately, because he was getting beat. It was not one of his better performances, and it's not talking about the the pass interference calls. Without those calls, I, I, I thought that a lot of those were ticky tack fouls, especially down at the goal line in the red zone. I thought that was an atrocious call. He did not affect the receiver whatsoever you're not going to overturn Mm -hmm. that because it has to be clear as day and he did have his arm on the receiver however he did not try and control the receiver or tug him or affect his ability to catch that football in any way shape or form Um, and so that was unfortunate but Trey Flowers it, it reminded me Stacey in the secondary in terms of this this defense and pass coverage this group is still trying to play assignment defense instead of being instinctual and trusting themselves and, and and making plays and being aggressive. And what I mean by that is, for example, Trey Flowers is doing his job, doing his job, playing, trying to be the the deepest of the deep. Uh, no one's going to come over the top to me in my deep third responsibility. But you're giving up too easy uh, of an opportunity on slants. You're giving up too easy of completions on on post routes. Um, you know, and, and things of that nature, uh, outs coming your way, those are the types of things that in a, a confident, aggressive corner isn't going to let happen. And that's what that's what I saw after watching the tape, after you know studying this team and and the way that they played yesterday, Stacy. I saw that not just from Trey Flowers, but from the safeties in particular. Tedrick Thompson ha- played a very, very, very tough game outside of the 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 easiest pick situation that you could possibly have as a safety. He misjudged, uh, clearly misjudged that play, and, and John Ross catches it for a touchdown. You know, to end the half, fifty-five um, yard touchdown, fifty-five yard touchdown that Andy Dalton served up to you on a platter, by the way. And, and but despite that, there was a lot of other things that he struggled with, Stacy. And that's that's what I'm looking for this group to really kind of take that next step: is start playing confidence, start trusting, and start playing instinctual.
1: And Tedrick Thompson might have just played himself into a battle for a starting job with lano hill who is one of two safeties including marquise blair who's coming back from injury lano hill this is what's interesting about it is lano hill and tedrick thompson kind of had to swap out late in the season last year tedrick thompson suffered a rib injury was out for i think two games or so uh bradley mcdougall played at free safety and then lano hill came in at strong safety and there was a moment there at the end of the season when Tedrick was okay and Pete Carroll was kind of hinting, well, maybe we might keep it this way. And then Delano Hill uh, fractured his hip and it took him pretty much all off season to come back from that injury. We all kind of forgot about that momentary battle, but it was brought up again this morning with Brock and Salk when they were talking with Pete Carroll. And he said, yeah, Leno deserves a shot to play and uh, kind of hinting that this is still very much open competition. And that's what Bradley McDougal being so flexible at that position gives you too. Yeah, is a competition between a free safety and a strong safety. Um, I, will, I will
0: say this, Stacy. I will be shocked, absolutely shocked, if Tedrick Thompson is starting for the Seahawks. Because here's what I'm two. wondering:
1: He did earn a starting role. Are we jumping to the? Are we jumping the gun? No.
0: Are I, we I, being way too? I don't harsh think too so. early? I don't think so. I think the reason why Tedrick Thompson won this job, Stacy, is because one. Marquise Blair couldn't stay healthy through the preseason and did not have enough reps to where this coaching staff felt confident putting him out there, that they felt that he would be a liability for the fact that he doesn't just simply he, – he hasn't grasped this defense yet. That is, to me, the only reason why Tedrick Thompson won that job and also the fact that Leno Hill never was healthy until it was too late. Mm. He just got himself back uh, at a point where it was kind of the point of no return. And didn't get back until really playing in week four and and really barely played. So um, with all that being said, I think it was the perfect storm to allow Tedrick Thompson to kind of, you know, easily win that job and be the guy that the Seahawks just said, well, you know, we're not fired up about this, but he's the most he, he is the guy we feel the most comfortable out of the rest. And I think, he, like you said, he just opened this thing back up to where it's like, you got to give Lane O'Hill an opportunity to see what that looks like instead of what you saw versus the Cincinnati Bengals.
1: It's just so, I mean, you just wonder if you're just not seeing something from someone. I'm just, I'm literally just thinking out loud here pretty casually. Yeah. But I mean, this is obviously, they obviously loved, and you and I talked about this before the show, we were rewatching a lot of these plays, um, that, Tedrick Thompson was pitched as this ball hawk that would be all over it, and I feel like that just didn't quite come out, but this was still a guy that initially players were raving about sure. and pretty yeah. excited about. Yeah,
0: that, he, he has looked great in practice. He's done different things that would warrant that, especially last year. But so far, Stacey, in what has mattered in an actual game, on an NFL stage, he has not translated that college career that he had for being known as a ball hawking safety. It just simply hasn't translated into into the NFL and for these Seattle Seahawks, unfortunately. And I look at this and I say, you you have to at this point, you have to start looking and seeing if somebody else like Elena Hill can can give you that different look and give you that better combination of safeties moving forward because what we saw in week one just simply wasn't good enough. And st- and honestly, the reason why I don't feel like it's an overreaction, Stacey, is because it's what we saw for the majority of last season. That's and and thing. he lost his job at, you know, the last two, three games of the season. Um, and so with with all that, I think he just confirmed what we already knew.
1: Up front, I think, was not as good as you could get. They, they were uneven at times. But – Uh, and Pete Carroll said it himself, the pass pass rush was there when you needed it. Jadeveon Clowney had – you couldn't have a better start as far as someone who was expected to be kind of limited with his snaps. It's not like he was full go. He didn't have a training camp. He didn't have an offseason with this team. Uh, Still came out, finished with a sack of Andy Dalton. Um, No, I mean, other than that, I think you've got to say the linebackers themselves were – no one was, like, especially stellar, but everyone was fine. I mean, like, the front seven as a whole yeah. were great. And we've obviously talked about Quentin Jefferson having, like, the game of his life. Well,
0: yeah. I mean, he, he certainly played well. And I, I think the highly anticipated look of Jadavion Clowne—I don't know about you, Stacy, but I, it crushed me more than I thought I already when know where this is I saw— because I was so excited, Stacey, for week one. You didn't I could a little not, bit think it was going to I could not happen. wait for Jadavian Clowney and Ziggy Ansah to hit that field in the home opener for the Seattle Seahawks. And when I saw Ziggy Ansah was on the inactive list, we were just. I almost about- threw my phone, Stacey. <laughs> I was like, "Gosh, dang it!"
1: I feel like we spent why at least a full month before training camp even started talking about. Yeah, it'd be great to get him in week three.
0: Yeah, but it, all indications had pointed the last two weeks yeah. heading up there that Ziggy Ansah was doing great. He was responding really well, and all signs were pointing to him playing in week one. So, with that, despite that, with only Jadavion, you know, being out there on the edge, I thought he was everything that you could have hoped for in that situation coming back only having one week barely one week of practice uh, with the Seahawks he played extremely well showed why he is so disruptive mm-hmm. uh, made huge plays got a sack um, got a got a tip pass uh, and and was able to get a TFL in multiple plays where he was disruptive causing holding Uh, penalties causing uh, running backs to get off their track. I mean, really, really lived up to the hype and the billing, which allowed the rest of the defensive line and linebackers to really perform and shine. And like you said, Quentin Jefferson had an unbelievable game, super excited for him. Um, I I came to Seattle when he was a rookie, so it was kind of our first experience there. He's a great guy um, and and was really happy to Mm -hmm. see the performance that he had. And if he continues to play with that type of motor, Stacy, I think that he's going to continue to keep racking in the sacks. When you've got as a rotational player, when you add Ziggy Ansah to this group, this could be a really, really good good front seven for the Seahawks, and, and, I, and we're highly anticipating that.
1: What was the biggest surprise from Week One for the Seahawks? We're going to ask Jake next in Four Down Territory. This
0: is Four Down Territory on Seattle Sports at Night.
1: Yeah, dig deep, D think Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. It's me, Seahawks Insider Stacy Rust, here with the Guru of all things, really football, quarterbacking, um,
0: you name it. Right now, that, right now, what was now, that show Jackson,
1: you watched? The Mass Singer Guru.
0: Oh, oh definitely. That's a guru coming back the here Singer. soon. We're gonna find out. That one threw me through a loop last wow, time. Wow. Yeah. Jackson, tell me about it. Jackson thinks I'm I'm dynamite with the Legos right now.
1: Like put, building Legos? Yeah,
0: I put together this sweet Lego guru. car. Yeah.
1: Okay, I got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh well, thankfully, uh, we can ask you a few questions, use your guru skills. Let's get to the first down.
0: <laughs> Number one.
1: It was a smooth transition. It wasn't my <laughs> best. Okay, just deal with it. Why did UW's offense look out of rhythm against Cal and what's the remedy?
0: I think the the obvious thing is is that the uh, drop passes, Stacey. For Jacob Eason, I didn't think that he had a stellar game, but what I thought was that there were opportunities where he would make the right decision, especially on third down, and there were big drops and critical moments, and it was just like, man, when that completion would have got things going, would have got this offense into a rhythm, Jacob Eason into a rhythm. Now you're getting Cal kind of on its heels, and because of those drop passes, you kind of gave Cal a false sense of Excitement, a false sense of, hey, we're hanging in there with these guys, when in reality UW was just kind of beating themselves in those moments. So I do believe there was growing pains for Jacob Eason in that game. However, I do believe that this team and this offense would have been in a much different position had, had the receivers caught the ball a little bit better. The other thing I would say, you know, remedy moving forward for mm. this offense is to try and find a better way to marry... The running game and the passing game together. What I mean by that is, I think that this offense has a great running game and a, and a passing game that has a chance to be explosive. But what I haven't seen much of, Stacy, so far in these two games is play-action pass, using the run to really get those receivers behind the linebackers, get them behind the safeties, take advantage of these run, these this this great uh, running game that you have and really, really marrying the two together. And so far, that has not happened. I think once you do that, I really believe that this offense can truly be dynamic.
1: Question number two. Number,
0: number two.
1: Jake. That's when Cur- Curtis would say Stacy, but it's okay. Why are you-
0: <laughs> We miss Curtis.
1: <laughs> Why are you looking forward to Friday's matchup between Washington State and Houston in particular?
0: Yeah, it's been fun watching Anthony Gordon and this offense just kind of you know, pick up where they left off last year with Gardner Minshew, and, and this has been fun to continue to see Mike Leach's culture, continue to see his offense just can churn out yardage, churn out points. These two opponents you haven't really been able to take a whole lot away from in terms of WSU and how good they really are on offense and defense. But Houston, however, week three, We're going to be able to get a lot of information. I think that uh, Washington State's still going to be able to put up points. We're going to find out a lot about Anthony Gordon. But more so this Houston offense has the ability to put up big time points and how is WSU's defense going to respond to that? So this is going to be a great challenge. This is going to be a ge- a close game. I think it's going to be more of a shootout and how does how do the Cougs respond to that? So I think we're going to be able to finally get a real sense and a real pulse as to where the, where the Cougs are at and where the trajectory for the season can be.
1: Question number three.
0: Number three.
1: Jake, what was the biggest surprise from week one for the Seahawks?
0: I think the biggest surprise, Stacy, unfortunately, was the fact that this offensive line struggled so much. Yep,
1: that was my too. And it
0: wasn't just one player. It wasn't just Jermaine Effetti. It was actually Justin Britt. It was Dwayne Brown. Everybody got beat at one point in time. Silly pass protection errors for this team and that's something that cannot happen for a veteran group you talked to Dwayne Brown after the game you tried to give him an out hey you guys just didn't play very uh, much in the preseason Dwayne Brown sitting there Stacy thank you for giving me the opportunity but I'm not taking it see that
1: was a pro move because that's one of my weaknesses in interviewing is like I mean do you think maybe it was because of this and then if you're a player or coach you're like, yeah. No, definitely. That was definitely it. Next yeah. question. Yeah, I, look,
0: this is this is something where I think that this group is a veteran group. They're an accountable group, and this is a group that really prides themselves uh, on being one of the un- um, one of this team's best units. And I really expect this group to really uh, take a huge step moving forward because Stacy, the Steelers, Pittsburgh Steelers, leading the league the past two seasons in sacks, fifty five and fifty two over the last two seasons. Uh, And if this offense really, truly wants to get themselves back on track, it starts up front, and I fully expect them to do just that.
1: Yeah, I feel like the story leaving this game was that one part of it was expected that one of the biggest weaknesses were expected. That was your young secondary. No right. one was thinking that I, they would have
0: As as frustrating as it was, right. as frustrating as it was, I could live with it to a degree. Well, and also like, the
1: Bengals knew that like they were certainly exploiting right. that they were targeting Trey Flowers. What
0: was happening on the offensive line? That
1: was a surprise. That
0: was frustrating. I can't even begin to tell you what I was doing during the game uh because it just would not be good on, look good on my part. It well, just was not it was something that was so frustrating and unexpected.
1: What I'll give them is that last year, the offensive line, a slightly different group, allowed 12 sacks over the first two games. Do you right. remember that? No, Six I do remember sacks that. sacks apiece but, in weeks one and two. But that's
0: week one. Right. That's week one of a new offensive coordinator, a new system. You're going up against the Bears and Khalil Mack. You're going against the Broncos with uh, Bradley Chubb and Vaughn Miller. I'm okay with that. Against the Cincinnati Bengals with a team that was one of the worst, if not the worst, defensive units You literally had a 10-point spread. It it just was it was very surprising and, and caught you off guard. But you do have to tip your cap to Carlos Dunlap, Sam Hubbard, and and Geno Atkins. They did play a heck of a game, and, and you're right, Stacy. Hopefully, they can turn it around and, and move forward after this. They, I surely hope so, and I surely hope so for Russell Wilson's yeah. health's sake.
1: Question number four.
0: Number four.
1: Jake, what did you make of Clowney's debut overall?
0: What I made of his debut was I, I, it was a sight to see. It was a welcome sight to see, and. And all the reasons in terms of the reaction of is the Seahawks a Super Bowl winning team with Davian Clowney, the answer is yes. His impact was felt. It was great, not only in the passing game, but in the running game as well. And And so by all accounts, the funny part was, you know, the Seahawks clearly had a snap count that they wanted to hold him to. And they unfortunately weren't able to with the way the game went, but also the fact that Jadavian Clowney responded so well, Stacy. So, mm-hmm. yeah, hopefully it won't affect him in terms of his avail- availability heading into week two. But I, I, I can't wait to see this group, Stacy, with Ziggy Ansah and Jadavion Clowney on the field together at the same time. That's going to be a sight to see.
1: I have kind of an open-ended question that I just thought of when you said made them a Super Bowl team because bring it. I bring think it. when we were talking, do you remember? We were, uh, we were hosting for Brock & Salt with Danny, and we, we were talking about bold predictions for the season. A couple people were calling in saying Seahawks are going to win the division. They're going to get 12 wins. Without a doubt in my mind, this is my bold prediction, but I also really believe it. And I was on the fence with that. I still kind of think this is going to be a pretty similar team to how they were last year. I think you've still got a lot of young talent. Uh, you've got potential, for sure. This isn't a team like on the outs or a team on a downward spiral. I think this is just a team that has some raw talent in a lot of important places. So I still saw them as like a 9-7, potentially an 8-8, depending if you get run into some bad injury luck. But... Do you still feel like Clowney is the addition that makes enough of a difference to make them a Super Bowl team? Like, Do you still truly believe
0: that? I truly believe that, yes, because here's what I'm basing that decision off of. I am basing off that decision, the fact that this offensive line is not going to continue to play as poor as they did this last week. I'm basing that off of the fact that this secondary, although they certainly bend, they did not break in the red zone. I I think a lot of those things still hold true. And they are plus two in week one already uh, in the turnover margin battle. So this group, I think you you have some things that really are staying consistent with this crew. And obviously you want to see the offense have a better output, a better outcome. Uh, and, And but with all those things being said, Jadavian Clowney is that big of a difference maker without him. I don't, I, I'm with Brock Hewitt on this. I don't think the Seahawks win. I, I think that that's. Without how, Clowney. Without Clowney. Yeah. I, I think that he had that big of an impact allowing guys like Quentin Jefferson to play as well as they did, allowing Al Woods to be as good as he was uh, in the game yesterday.
1: We heard from head coach Pete Carroll earlier today. A couple important injury updates that we're going to take from that. Uh, some of his reaction to, I guess what he would also say was kind of a disappointing win um didn't sound especially excited but had some pretty interesting things to say that's coming up next on seattle sports at night